Hi, this is Greg Grasso with Chapter One. Today, I am speaking with a uh, a very smart lady, uh, Susan. <laughs> Hi, Susan. Hi. This is Susan Eaton. Uh, Susan Eaton is with the uh, uh, Heller School of Social Policy at Brandeis University. She also teaches law. No, I teach at the Ed School. You teach at the Ed School at Harvard Ed. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, you know, I blew that, but that's okay. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, I know. That's what I say. (laughs) She's an author and uh, um, most recently a uh, book called Children in Room E4. I have uh, done a little bit of research on that. Pretty good read, but I like this. Uh, I like this new book that Susan has come out with. It's called Integration Nation: Immigrants, Refugees, and America at Its Best. Susan, good morning, and how the heck are you? And sorry for screwing everything up. Oh, I'm good. How are you doing? Doing fine. Doing fun fine. to be here. Thank you. You know, recently over the past couple of months, I've interviewed uh, a couple other authors like yourself. Uh, all coming from academia, smart folks who are writing books on the immigrant problem in America. And I'm interested in your book, Integration Nation. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the book, and uh, we'll get into some particulars. Sure. So the book is a kind of cross-country journey that um, takes readers to meet people and to learn about organizations and governments that are welcoming immigrants and working collaboratively alongside immigrants as they become full members of the communities where they've uh, decided to settle or if they were refugees where they were where they were settled um, and these are people who've recognized that welcoming immigrants and helping immigrants become happy and prosperous is something that benefits everybody in the long term this nation was built by immigrants uh, I come from a Polish Italian immigrant family gardeners uh, laborers construction people um, East Coast. At one time, the United States encouraged, uh, opened the doors to immigrants. Lately, things have been changing. What's going on, Susan? What has changed? And, <laughs> and, and why is a, a place like Durham, um, North Carolina, a great city to, uh, to live in as an immigrant? Yeah, so I think um, I'm not sure things are changing. Although, w- I mean, what you if you look back at history and you look through immigrant history, um, you know, you see that there have been it's been a kind of shift of back and forth, right? A welcoming of immigrants, a being more inclusive and expanding rights, and then shutting down and restricting rights. And I think that that impulse exists in our larger society, our culture, and to some degree in most everybody. Right. Uh, so it's not so much that necessarily things are changing now, but I, it seems to me that the, the kind of the parameters of the discussion or the boundaries for the discussion have been blown open. Uh, and so it's suddenly safe again to, to be xenophobic and to be racist or to say negative things. And then what happens is this cycle in which the media then because it's addicted to the conflict narrative and is trained in the conflict narrative, zooms all of its attention over there on the negative. And the stories about people who are being constructive and who are working together and who are learning to see one another as neighbors and treat one another as friends, 
gets overshadowed and ignored. And so I wrote this book to try and shine a light on those more positive examples of people who were just kind of getting on with it. Like there was, there were immigrants in the community, and that was the way that it was. And people who decided to to work together and unite so that the whole community could be a prosperous, safe place to live in. And you asked about Durham, North Carolina. That's a really good example. Um, of an initiative that was really positive and had benefits for everybody. In the late 90s and early 2000s, uh, police there and advocates were noticing that p- immigrants who were in the country without documentation were being robbed and their money was being stolen. And the reason that this was happening was because banks were not accepting undocumented immigrants as customers or undocumented immigrants were scared to go to the banks because they were they feared deportation. And so as a result, after conversations and meetings, um, a Latino community, the Latino Community Credit Union was formed. And this was a place where anybody could go and they could open an account and they could safely deposit their money. They could also learn about the dangers of predatory lending. They could learn about the dangers of payday lending and of um, these rent-a-furniture places that really exploited immigrants and the poor in general. And since that first credit union was established, it has become the largest, fastest-growing credit union in the community credit union in the United States with chapters opening up all over the state. And this was a place not where just immigrants ended up going, but anybody could go. And they made small loans that allowed immigrant entrepreneurs to open businesses, to expand their businesses, and contribute in really concrete ways to the larger society. And it also made the city much safer because robberies declined after people, after the immigrant community, members of the immigrant community learned that there was a safe place where they could go and they could put their money and they could begin saving it. Uh, so that's just, that's just one example of um, a very effective way of of, uh, of of immigrant integration. So, what got you started on this uh, on this voice? I mean, um, are are you from an immigrant family? Uh, did you see things as a uh, as a youngster growing up? Um, what what is uh, why have you gravitated toward this subject? Is, is it because it's timely or passionate? Or um, yeah, I mean, I I had always been, I, I had for a very long time um, studied and written about and mm-hmm. been involved in issues related to racial and economic segregation in housing and schools. Mm-hmm. And I saw this kind of dual impulse you know, toward inclusion and exclusion kind of play out in that area. And I saw that repeated, obviously, around immigration. And so it was around 2010 when Arizona was passing its very restrictive law that became, you know, known notorious kind of across the country for encouraging racial profiling and trying to restrict and encourage the deportation of of immigrants. And but what I also knew from other research was that this was not the the main or the only narrative in the United States. There was a narrative of inclusion and of welcoming. And as immigration was playing out on the local level, there were plenty of places that where there were excellent concrete examples of people doing constructive, humane and sensible things where immigrants were concerned. And I felt that that was an important story to tell too. 
And uh, so, you know, I started out my career as a journalist, and I was trained to always follow the fight <laughs> and follow the mud wrestling, right, because that's the sexy thing. But I've always been moved by um, kind of the untold story, and I always really liked to write about people who I admired, and um, these were the folks that, that I admired, so that's where I went. Do you think we're going to have the same kind of story five years from now, ten years from now, about the migration of Muslim into society? I mean, th I think, things are different now. I mean, with all the, yeah. the negative stuff. Um, yeah, I think that the dialogue on the national level uh, and, you know, from a certain presidential candidate in particular has, has kind of poisoned the well of discourse in a way that I think will fade over time and I and I believe that the more the more people who aren't Muslim get to know people who are Muslims in their own communities <laughs> it, just in ordinary ways that this tenor will will die down and and I think you that's what I saw in communities where it used to be, you know, attacking the Mexicans and the Mexicans were terrible and they were coming in and they were all drug dealers and these ridiculous myths that got pushed. Um, you know, people realize this is not true. You know, this the immigrant kids are my children's playmates, they're my neighbors, I work with them. And soon that embeddedness in the larger community, people began to understand that <laughs> these were human beings and they were ordinary and decent and, you know, we had a lot in common and the things that were different about us weren't so scary that maybe they were even intriguing and interesting and we might be enriched by them. And the more that that happens, I think that the better off the, the dialogue will be nationally. I mean, we saw that in, you know, I saw that, for example, in Lewiston, Maine, where there's a, there was a very large migration in the 2000s to a very poor, uh, predominantly white, and again, traditionally uh, immigrant community from way back in Maine. Um, probably, like, if you could imagine a place that was, going to be ill-equipped to deal with a large migration of Somali immigrants, you might have chosen this place. Mm. And yet there are challenges that remain. There's racism and xenophobia and Islamophobia that remains. But generally speaking, there's been tremendous progress in just one generation. And the more that that happens, and the more that, you know, our larger society and government can can work with immigrants and help them become prosperous and integrated into the fuller community, I think that that um, destructive dialogue will diminish. What's your take on, um, on the president's um, executive action uh, uh, shielding uh, undocumented immigrants from deportation? You know, a couple of people on the platform right now that want to get rid of this and get rid of that and go back home and... You know, uh, which is totally ridiculous. But do you think this executive action is going to going to hold? Um, I guess it will depend, won't it, on who gets yeah. elected president? And that's a, another good reason for <laughs> you know, people like me to go out and vote, I guess. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that it's a really good first step. I mean, for the most part, the, sh the people who were shielded in the most recent executive order—I may be um, correct me if I'm wrong. 
were children who were brought here by their parents as minors, and right. so really had no, it's not like they made the choice to come to the United States. They were brought here, uh, and who are, you know, succeeding in high school and contributing to the larger society and are, for all intents and purposes, full members of the society, except for the fact that they, are, they don't have that legal citizenship status. And that is holding them back, and I think it's absurd that in a country where we need a young workforce and we need the contributions of everybody to keep our economy strong, to pay into Social Security, all of those kinds of things, that we wouldn't want to draw on the assets that this group of young people brings to the country. Mm. So in that sense, yes, it was a, it was a, an order that, you know, you could say benefited immigrants, but again, like the measures that I write about in my book, these are measures that benefit everybody. Mm-hmm. Do you think um, power should be given to the federal government or the, and the state level to to uh, kind of help this problem? I, I've I've seen better success at a local level. What's your take on it? Well, I think that um, so the the initiatives that I wrote about for the for the most part were things that played out locally because that's where people live, right? People live right. in their in their place, in their community, in their region, right? And so that's right. how they are. That's how kind of they are centered and 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 where the programs have the best effect. But the federal immigration policy now is is very limited in its in its kind of the let's see, the power that it has to to really affect day-to-day life for people. So most of the questions about federal immigration policy are related to really contentious questions of who gets to stay in the country and who needs to go. Unlike a lot of other countries that take in large numbers of immigrants, like Canada or Australia and some Western Western European countries, the United States doesn't have an office or an agency that's dedicated to ensuring that immigrants, you know, find their way here, find a prosperous, you know, way of life, get job training, learn English, um, make sure that their kids are enrolled in schools, that parents can navigate the education system, that there's some sort of social integration so people aren't depressed and lonely, you know, all all of those kinds of things. That is really left on a kind of ad hoc basis to whatever community can sort of scrap together and and put together. Now, that's not a good system for integrating very large numbers of immigrants into the larger society. Our economy has changed. It requires a lot higher levels of education. Um, Young people need to find success in school in a way that wasn't as necessary during larger waves of immigration. There's a whole host of changes that really require more support from the federal government. So I think that what could happen is the federal government could look at these successes on the ground, learn from those, and then create competitive grant programs or grant programs that would support those kinds of initiatives, put somebody in charge of, make somebody its job on the federal level to ensure that states are taking some, state governments are taking some kind of action, getting information out there about the kinds of programs that have worked in communities, trying to bring people together to break down barriers that exist between immigrant populations and, you know, U.S.-born populations. Um, there's numerous things that the federal government could be doing to help, but you're right that the that the the experience of <laughs> of an immigrant and 
of a community that's receiving immigrants, you know, happens at, at that very local level. I'm wondering if the psyche of the immigrant has changed. I remember 70s, uh, the influx of uh, uh, Vietnamese uh, into mm-hmm. this country after mm-hmm. Vietnam. Prior to that, um, we had Cuban refugees uh, coming uh, from Cuba to, to Florida. Um, in the 80s, uh, Somalia and um, other countries, we accepted immigrants. Now, these, these immigrants were, were escaping from political and religious uh, bias and, and uh, uh, execution, let's say. Um, has, are people coming to the United States for different reasons now, or is it the same escape type of um, refuge? Uh, I think it's a mix. I mean, it's definitely a mix. I mean, there are people who are who came here and who are coming here because um, they are hoping to find, you know, a, a better life for themselves economically. And then there are people who are fleeing violence uh, because of drug cartels for existence in in Central America. Uh, and then people who are fleeing wars, like as we see the case of Syrian refugees. So I think that there's a mix of uh, reasons that people are coming coming to the country. And I think that sometimes people are, Americans generally, may be more willing to, you know, maybe more accepting of refugees that come from places where it's really clear that that the United States had a hand in, you know, say, bombing their country, like <laughs> Vietnam or, or other places. Um, and then it gets fuzzier when that role that the, of the United States is is less clear or is murkier somehow. I think that that's true, and I think in those cases there really needs to be a lot more work done on the community level to, you know, explain to everybody, you know, wh- why the refugees are here, what some of their customs and traditions are, and the policy of refugee resettlement. Uh, there's a lot of myths that float around out there in communities and a lot of resentment that needs to be quelled and um, people need to have conversations and learn about the reality. If I look through the eyes of some of these legislators or decision makers on a, whatever level they're at, you know, I can see a problem in that if we open our doors to everybody like we used to do and we still do. Yeah. Um, how are we going to feed them? How are we going to clothe them? How are we going to give them health care? What I'm hearing is the uh, the immigrant is still an immigrant. He's es- escaping is the wrong word, but they're coming here because, yes, the American uh, uh, dream is still alive. Um, they see other uh, facets of communities um, um, uh, prospering and, and so on and so forth. But uh, I'm wondering if uh, if there's a bigger problem at a different level um, that we don't that we're not privy to, um, you know, at the executive level. Uh, I just don't see if people come back and embrace these people that really want to live and contribute. Um, I, I don't know. I just I just don't see hope for these people unless something dramatically changes. Yeah. I, I don't know. Well, I mean, I think, like you said, like uh, like I said before, the question of you know who gets to stay and how many people we let in and all of that yeah. those are those are really important questions and those need to get settled and that's you know all tied up in you know kind of the national mood and what the politics are and all of that. 
Um, but w- w- there are those questions which, like I said, are really vital and important to engage in, but so much of our energy gets engaged in those questions right. instead of looking at, you know, what's playing out in communities right now and right. how can we do things that are constructive that can benefit all of us. And there's a lot that can be done. And that's where I wish that people were spending a lot of their energy and their time instead of, you know, railing against, you know, whether we should or we shouldn't let this group in and whether that group is good or bad or who's more educated. Um, You know, still important, but let's not lose sight of the right now, which is, you know, millions of people in the country, uh, usually wanting to contribute, trying to find their way, uh, and we don't want those. We don't want the assets that they have to go to waste, um, and we don't want to create divisions within communities between people, which is which is never good, which is never positive, that which never leads to to anything good. No, no, that's uh, you can you can look through the news right now and and see that pretty uh, pretty clearly. So. You you highlighted a number of cities in this book. Uh, we talked about a couple of them: um, Maine, Philly, uh, Philadelphia, uh, Durham, North Carolina. Did you physically go to these places? Did you get your feet on the ground and walk around and get a sense? And yeah, yes. So the way that the so this this book grew out of a project called One Nation Indivisible, and yeah. we looked at people and places across the country that were doing positive things in a variety of arenas, one of which was immigrant integration. And so I wrote most of the stories in this book. Others were written by experienced journalists that I hired, um, but I commissioned the story. So, yes, for the ones that I wrote or collaborated on, I definitely was at in these places, yes, with my feet on the ground, walking around and meeting people. And uh, it it was great. I learned a lot about the country in the process. Yeah, when when I go travel or whatever, I get I get on the sidewalk and I walk because uh, you can really uh, get a good sense of of community and and just by just by getting in there, you know. I I don't like people yep. who sit on the sidelines and judge or you know try to try to figure out what's going on. That that's very cool. So yeah, uh, Susan, what um. What do you got coming up? Um, <laughs> this, this is your third, third or fourth book. Uh, I, uh, this is my well. This is I consider this book like a co-author, and okay. then um, my first book I co-authored with somebody, and then my second book I was my thesis at Harvard, and then mm. um, which got published by Yale University Press, and then before that was the book you mentioned, The Children in Room E Four, which I which I wrote, which came out, I think it was 07, that book came out. So I, I think I'm going to take a break from, from writing books for a while. I run a mm-hmm. philanthropy center hmm. here at the Heller School for Social mm-hmm. Policy, and we, we work with funders and grant makers and mm-hmm. try to inform them about a variety of social justice issues and try to get them to move their, their funding and their grant-making strategies more in the you know in the area of of social justice that gets really to the cause, the root causes of of a lot of our social problems. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do that for a while until I think I I usually don't write a book until I feel like I really have to write the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really have no choice. <laughs> like I said before, I uh, my great grandparents were immigrants, Polish and Italian, um, came over here with nothing, so on and so forth. Um, my dad and mom instilled really good values. You know, they taught me 
one thing uh, when I was younger, and that is you can't walk through life alone. And if you don't give people an opportunity, if you can't look in their eyes and uh, uh, see the good, life can be pretty hard. I, I yep. just think that everybody should be given a chance because you know what? <laughs> I've met a lot of smarter people than me <laughs> as immigrants coming into this country. They have skill sets. They have knowledge. They have uh, they have stories to tell, and I think that's what makes up uh, uh, this great nation is the uh, is the diversity of, of people that have built this nation, and people are still trying to do the right thing. Yeah. So, Yep, that's a good thought. Thank you. I like that idea. I appreciate that. Susan Eaton, Integration Nation. Um, Really good read. And uh, I noticed, uh, do you have an e-book version of this? No, not that I'm aware of. Okay, okay. All right. Well, maybe your next book. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, please. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, got to keep writing, Susan. Uh, I know. um, I know. Anyway. Well, look it. It's been uh, it's been fun. I've learned something, and and I, I I go through life hoping to learn something every day. Um, <laughs> and I appreciate you Great. coming on the show. Yeah, it was fun to talk to you, and I'll, I'll get I'll get out a book to you. Well, thank you very much. Um, All right, Susan Eaton, Integration Nation, Immigrants, Refugees, and America at its Best. Um, look at uh, hope this uh, enables people to look at uh, other folks differently. Thank you very much. See you, Susan. (laughs) Take care. Bye, Greg. Bye-bye.